are in a series called Truth in the Midst of Lies. And it's in the book of Galatians, so if you want to go ahead and get to that book. One of the things we've been doing to try to bring just thought about figuring out what's true and what's lie in the midst of our, where we live, we've had a couple of our people come uh, and share two truths and one lie, and it's your job to determine which is the truth and which is the lie. Okay, so we're going to start with Anthony. All right, I've been here for 13 years, so if you don't know this, then shame on you. Um, <laughs> number one, I have visited 25 out of the 50 states. Number two, I am the youngest of seven children. And number three, I once tried to steal a goose from a local park and ended up getting flogged by three others while running back to my car. That sounds true to me. All right, how many of you think the lie is number one? Okay, mis distrustful people in that area. How many think I'm the youngest of seven children is the lie? Okay, a few more there. And got beat up by a goose. How many think that's a lie? That's got to be true. You can't make that up. Number three is the lie. It was, Number three. Ah. Uh, it was actually a duck. A duck. <laughs> All right. Come on. Share with us your truths and your lies. Number one, when I was little, I teased my brother, Brandon, for being part Filipino, not realizing that I had to be part Filipino, too. Okay, that's quite true. <laughs> Number two, me and my family met Weird Al after one of his concerts in Springfield when I was a child. Okay. Okay. <laughs> During driving practice, I practically high-centered my mom's car in, on the curb in Hamlin's parking lot. That sounds true to me. I don't know. All right, how many think... Number one is the lie, where she teased her brother. Okay. All right. Not too many. Number two, met Weird Al. Okay. And number three, high-centered her mom's car. That, I, that's got to be true. Okay. What do you think? Uh, it was number two. Num you didn't meet Weird Al? Uh-huh. Thank you, baby. Just put it right there for me. <clears throat> All right, let me give you three more, and we're going to try to have you pick out the, the truth and the lie as we go through this teaching today. Here's the, two, the three that I'm going to give you. There are two major biblical covenants. Now, there are more covenants than two, but there are two major biblical covenants. One can be compared to Hagar, and the other can be compared to Sarah. So you'll have to listen to see if that's true or false. The second one. True Jesus followers are sons of the slave woman. We have to find out as we listen to see if that's true or false. Number three, the current Jews of Jerusalem are still in slavery to the law of God. True or false, based upon what scripture says. Alright, so we have been in this series and what we're doing, we're taking Paul's first letter that he wrote to one of the churches that he started. And it was in Galatia, and he was writing back to this church after he had left and was trying to correct some issues that had arisen in this church. So we're going to look at it from a historical point of view, what was happening back then, why did he write it. 
But then we're going to try to pull it up into our day and find out what does this mean to me? How can I be caught up in some lie here or, or untruth here? And so that we can find our best way to uh, live in freedom. Let me give you a little background on this. It's going to refer quite often back to Genesis. Uh, a lot of it's in chapter 16, some through in chapter 12 of Genesis. We're not going to go there today. It just refers to the stories that happened back in that time. And we're going to be talking about Abram. Abram was God's chosen man to create a genetic line of people that came all the way down through the Old Testament stories up until the time of Jesus, who, became, who was the seed promised to Abram. And then we're going to talk about Sarai and Abram. His name means in that original form, Abram means the father is high or God is exalted. Now, number two in that, I want you to understand that the, God renamed Abram and named him Abraham. And so he changed the context or the meaning of his life by changing his name. And it means the father of many nations. When he added that phrase to the end of his name, he elevated him to the promises as through you, you're going to be a, the father of many nations will come from you. He was married to Sarai, and Sarai, original name, meant contentious. I don't know if that means that she was a difficult lady or not. But when they changed her name to Sarah, it means princess who will produce nations, kings of peoples. So God, when he does stuff, when he names stuff, when he uh, transitions stuff, he always moves it from one thing to an elevated position in his kingdom, to his purpose. Uh, it was normal at the time, at their, their time, as it is normal in our day, that if you are a barren couple, that one of the options that you would have would be to use a surrogate mother. Well, Abram and Sarai could not get pregnant. They had been married many years, could not have a child. And that was a struggle for them because Abram was very wealthy. He was following God, blessed of God, and so he was blessed, had a lot of material wealth. He had no heir of which to pass on the information and the, and the knowledge and the, and the money, wealth of his, of his life to uh, the next generation, so they desired a, a child so badly that they came up with the plan. Sarai had a handmaiden or a slave, an Egyptian slave by the name of Hagar. And they, and they talked together, and Abram and Sarah came up with a plan to give Hagar as a wife to Abram in order to produce a child for him. And if you know that story, it's a through that surrogate mother, there's, a, there's the picture of self-effort. And if you don't hear much today, hear this. There is a way that we can try to do this thing about knowing God and following God that will be based upon self-effort. It will be based upon what I can do, how I can perform, and, and what I can produce by my own self-will. Self-effort is shown itself here. As a matter of fact, there's a consequence in your spiritual life. 
in the life of a church, for, if I could say it generally. There's a consequence if you and I produce something that we think is good and right and should be done, but we do it in our own self-energy, and our own self-effort, there is a consequence because once you start something not inspired or directed by God, but inspired by your flesh, that you want to make it look good or produce something, guess what? You can still produce it, but you will have to carry it because it will not be of God's plan. It will be actually something contrary to God's divine plan. As a matter of fact, here's what it says about this baby that was born to Hagar. That baby's name is Ishmael. And here's what the prophecy was about this, this young man. It says, he will, this man will be like a wild donkey in Genesis 16, 12. His hand will be against everyone. And everyone's hand will be against him. He will live in hostility toward others, uh, toward all of his brothers. So you're going to see as we walk through this today that that was a true statement about Ishmael and it was also an Ish, a true statement about what flows out of Ishmael all the way down even into our day where the consequences of a self-effort produces something but it produces something not very good at all. Alright, get your Galatians uh, chapters out, chapter 4. We're going to read through 21, chapter 4, verse 21 through 31. And I want you to ask this question as we read it. How can we understand the two covenants, the old and the new covenant, by looking at the two Old Testament ladies, two Old Testament women that we're looking at? Chapter 4, verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. You might want to mark that line. Born as a result of a divine promise. That's very important. These things are being taken figuratively. He's telling us a story here. An analogy. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai. And bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia. And corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem. Because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free. And she is our mother. For it is written. And he quotes Isaiah here. Be glad barren woman. You who never bore a child. Shout for joy. And cry aloud. You who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman. Than of her who has a husband. Now. You, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of the promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. Notice this next line. It is the same now. This conflict continues. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, 
For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, answer, but of the free woman. I'm going to do one more. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by this yoke of slavery. All right, let's look and do a comparison if we can today of Sarah and the child of promise, Hagar and the child of self-effort of the flesh. The self-effort with Hagar is used by Paul and he's painting a picture of an old, the Old Testament covenant and what it causes in our life. When you live under the law and you're trying to fulfill the law, practice the law, in order to be accepted by God, it becomes a very heavy burden and it's self-effort. It's my best performance trying to please God. And he says it's a very heavy burden to care. This picture of a covenant based on the law of Moses where, notice it was self-effort to live up to it, and or sacrifice in order to pay for it. And if you, if you see this, it was a conditional love agreement. It's a conditional love. I love you or you'll be right with me if. So when we get to a, a better picture of God's love a later in a new covenant, it's not a conditional type of acceptance. It is a grace-filled kind of acceptance. That because of what... It doesn't focus on my self-effort. It focuses on what Jesus did for me. It's all about Him. And it's all about this God that we serve and the gift that He has given us. It is a pretty awesome thing. So the second statement that I had up front is this. There are two major, um, uh, two major biblical covenants. One can be compared to Hagar and the other one compared to Sarah. Is that true? That's true. All right. Let me ask you, whose son are you? Whose daughter are you in this story? And I'm saying that so that we take a moment and don't just realize or evaluate with our head, yes, I agree, yes, I agree, or no, I don't agree. But begin to evaluate the situation of how you work your life, how your personal relationship with the Lord functions. What does it look like? Is it more of under self-effort? Or is it going to be something that is given, that focuses on what Christ has done for us? Alright, let's look at these two. The old covenant is, is the picture here Paul gave by Hagar. Now notice he was, the baby was born of the flesh. We've talked about that already. So Ishmael was born a slave to a slave woman. So what I want you to understand, if you're born of, of the flesh, born of the of, of this kind of law-based situation. It says it will bear fruit or bear children into slavery. What I Going back to the ministry or starting a ministry. And that it looks good. It should be there. We don't have it. We should make it happen. And, um, and I'll tell you, I've been guilty of this. If you see an area and something needs to be fixed, I'm, I've been in the past really quick to jump in, develop something to make it work. But I have also lived long enough to know that some of those starts were self-effort. And I know, you, let me tell you how I know. Because once you start it, you have to carry it. You have to make it work. 
And it begins to be a very, very heavy weight. So when, but when the Lord, through the Spirit, causes or develops something, it comes with His power, comes with His life. And then we just share in it. We get to be a part of it. It's a whole different picture. So we looked at Hagar. Now let's look at Sarah. And this is, the baby was born by divine promise. Very important. Genesis 18, the Lord appeared to Abram. And he says, next year, your wife will have a son. That was the divine promise. They had had a son 14 years earlier by the name of Ishmael. But at this, when this angel of the Lord came and said to Sarah, Abraham first, one year from now when I come back, you will have a son. That's a promise. When God says a promise, you can hold on to it because it, will, it cannot fail. Second thing I want us to compare is Ishmael's persecutes the son born of the, of the promise. Ishmael persecutes. If you remember in the story, Ishmael at the time of Isaac's birth was approximately 14. And so he badgered, he made fun of Isaac because he felt, you know, as a teenager, probably superior and all kinds of things. But it talks about how he started persecuting or speaking against that baby from the very first thing. But next, in that promise, and that's what I want us to look at. Ishmael is taunting him, uh, and it says in verse 29, and the same is true till now. It's an interesting line put in that scripture. And the same is true until now. That this conflict that started between Ishmael and Isaac continues to this moment, to this day. We'll look at it more in just a moment. Now that's what is, that's what is produced in when we produce by the flesh is whatever our flesh develops, watch this, will be contrary to the working of the Spirit, to the promises of God. Our flesh development will always be warring against what God is doing. That's why we have to be careful that we don't create a flesh-driven type of ministry. It may look good, it may have everything you want to have with it, but it be at war with God's purposes. Now let's look what, a, what is produced by the promised child, when something is started by God. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, this is the promise laid out for those things that are started by the Spirit, by the promise of God. Listen carefully. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And all people will be blessed through you. Ishmael produces persecution against God's will. The promise birthing something of God produces the blessing of God and the protection of God. That we want to make sure that we do that. The third thing, let's compare flesh driven to spirit driven. Number three, Genesis 16, 1 through 6. And I've already told you this. Flesh driven, here's what the, the prophecy said about Ishmael. I've already read it, I'm going to say it again. This man will be like a wild donkey. His hand will be against everyone. And everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live at odds with all of his brothers. So that was prophesied about this flesh-driven thing will be at odds, will be at war, will be at conflict. So we don't want to put our life into making choices outside of God's will. You see the danger of it and how far it goes. I'm... I'll show you in just a moment that it goes up into our day 
and the conflict that's going around the world goes back to this story many years ago. Okay, a Holy Spirit-driven situation is in Isaiah 54.1. Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. In other words, if it's spirit, promise-driven, it will have the produce of God on it. It will be very productive. It will produce fruit, and we'll be able to see it in and through our life. Let's compare number four, Ishmael. Who was he an ancestor of? If you'll follow Ishmael's line down to Muhammad. Muhammad was a, a descendant of Ishmael, and Muhammad is the one who established Islamic religion, Muslim religion. So coming from the line of Ishmael comes the, the worship of Islam. And you'll see the conflict that still remains now. East against west, west against east. is comes back to actually this story that's talked about here. If we go to Isaac. Isaac, if you know, Abraham, Isaac, and who's next? Jacob, out of Jacob comes the 12 sons. Out of the 12 sons becomes the 12 tribes of Israel. Or the Jewish nation, correct? So you see now, as you follow the line down, it's Islam against Judaism and Christianity. One born of the flesh has produced a war against all brothers. The one born of the promise has produced the the family of God. The, The seed of Abraham came Jesus. So Ishmael still hates Isaac till this day. That's why we see the conflicts that we have. The meanings of the son of the flesh, Ishmael, is, say, is slavery. The meaning of the name behind Ishmael is slavery. The meaning behind the name of Israel, excuse me, uh, of the name of, uh, who's the other name? Isaac, thank you. Got confused there for a minute. That name is freedom. One is slavery, one is freedom. Let's look at the second true and lie. Tell me if it's right or wrong. True Jesus followers are the son of the slave woman. How many think that's true? How many think that's false? That is a lie. That's the lie. We are born of the free woman. Let's do the third one while we're there. The current Jews of Jerusalem are still in slavery to the law of God. Based on what Galatians says. How many think that's a lie? How many think that's true? It is true. Well, I'll show you here in just a moment where the Scripture talks about that. Paul says in in verses 25 and 26, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem, present city, because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. This is talking about, if we get into prophecy, remember it talks about New Jerusalem, if you've read Revelation, talk about New Jerusalem, it's going to come down out of heaven and will be, take its place on the earth. That's talking about the New Jerusalem and it'll be made out of freedom, not out of slavery. It takes a firm position to stand, and here's what I want to talk to you about when it comes to applying this to the life of our church, to your personal spiritual life. The statement in Galatians 5.1 is a pretty strong statement. It says this, it is for freedom, it is for freedom 
that Christ set us free. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. He wants us to be free. Free from the law of sin and of death. He doesn't want us living under that. He doesn't want us carrying the burden of trying to appease God by living up to the law. Now the law is good. The law is the character of God. And law is still the standard of, of a healthy godly life. But if you try to use it to please God by your performance, it's self-effort. It's focused in on you. And it will crush you. But if we go to the law that comes through Jesus Christ, the law of life, it said He came to set us free from that. And it's not about what we do. It's about what He did. He flipped it all over. Do you see that? Is earlier by us what we could do. And when we would fail, we'd have to sacrifice of our prophets in order to cover our failure is about us being effort, doing effort to be right with God. In that, when we flipped it to the new covenant, Jesus paid the price. He gave the sacrifice. He took on the sin. It was all about Him dying for us. Thank God for a new covenant. Thank you, Lord, for what He's done. I think that's fantastic. Let me ask you a question. Paul said this in in that. Uh, First verse of chapter 5. Stand firm then. Do not let yourself go back under. Or be burdened again. By a yoke of slavery. Do not allow yourselves. What is he telling you? There's a tendency. If we're not careful. To be saved. To be forgiven by God. But go back under the law. To go back under the burden of performance. And he says stand firm. Don't let yourself go back there. What do you do to get God to love you? What do you do to get God to love you? Well, if we have to do something, it's by performance. I have to prove myself worthy of His love. So, if you're doing your Christianity, working yourself to death, to try to prove to God, or be worthy for God to love you, you're under a bondage of law. Because... When I hear about Jesus, he says, he loved me first. Right? He says, when I was in my worst condition, Christ died for me. When I was in my best position, Christ died for me. He loved me. I had nothing to earn that. I had no goodness in me to earn that. What do you have to do to keep God from rejecting you? I lived a lot of my kid life worried about that you know messed up told a lie here stole candy there and I would just have to I'd sit there and thinking in church I wonder if he came today I don't know if I'd go worried me because it's based on trying to be good what causes us to doubt our salvation once we have come to the an altar before Christ and we said God I'm a mess I'm a sinner. I have nothing to offer you but a broken life. And I'm going to ask you, Lord, to forgive me, cleanse me, take over my life. Once you've done that, what causes us to doubt afterward? It's usually bad performance by us, isn't it? Usually that we've gotten caught up in something again. We failed again. We sinned again. And so we go back and doubt. We just come back under the concept of self-effort. You understand that salvation thing we have been given is all about Him. 
all about Him. And all we can do is accept it or reject it. You have the power to accept that or reject that. But all the work was done by the Lord. We have three phrases here. Let me close this up. We have a concept called heartfelt worship. This is one of the things that we desire as a church family here. To be a people that when it comes to worship, that we're not going through ritual and rote and just doing the same thing over and over. And it may come out of our mouth. It may even bypass our mind. But it never touches our heart. I want to take you to a moment because there's some place in your life, there's some moment in your history when you hit true worship. Do you remember it? Do you remember where you were? Do you remember what was happening? The Spirit of God was heavy in the room. And you're, you became soft. There may have been tears flowing. There may have been a wiggly voice trying to sing a song of praise. But I mean it was from the depths of you came this place of worship. What was that? Where did that come from? And where has it gone if it has left? Knowing that we're loved, knowing that we're forgiven from a lot of stuff. Even the best of us who are out here, and I, can't, I think Frazier said it, we may have forgotten what we've been saved from. It's probably a good reminder to just think back to how messed up we are. It's good to know who we are in Christ, but it's not good to forget how much we've been forgiven. How much He's transformed our life. Took us from a miry pit and put us on a rock. You know, we sometimes we forget the miry pit. Because when we remember that mess and the redemption that comes, you know what comes out of that? Worship. Thank you, God. I was so messed up. And you love me anyway. You know, that's, that's heartfelt worship. So if you're sitting out there and we're trying to do worship, what style it is, whether it's contemporary, we're doing Southern Gospel on April 7th. Whatever style it is, I love it all. But the reality is, is it worship? Well, it is if we remember how far we've come and what He's done for us. What about courageous faith? What causes us to have courageous faith? When I hear that, my first thought is, right outside my mom's house, you could go there today if you come to lunch on Saturday with all the hordes of other Killingsworth family people. <clears throat> There's a, there's a well house right outside the back door of my mom's house. You know, when you're standing there, it's about this tall. It's a rite of passage for all of our children. Because you climb up off of her deck, up onto the, the well house. And then the first thoughts are is when you jump off of that into dad's hands. The scary thing about coming up to the edge of that thing. And Pat, you want me to catch me? Just kidding. And you, and you jump. Knowing that somebody's going to, dad's going to be there. Or somebody you trust is going to be there. <clears throat> it is scary. But the reason that you can jump is because you trust the one that's going to catch you. That's this thing of courageous faith. What makes us courageous? Because everything that we do by faith, listen to this because you don't hear this very often. Everything that you do by faith is scary. It's not safe. And so you have to come up here and say, okay, Dad, will you catch me? 
And he's not the kind of dad that says, yeah, come go ahead and then turn over here while you jump. His focus is on you and he's going to catch you. You do that, you, got tr- you trusted dad to catch you. We have got a father that he says he loves us. He loves us. He loves you. Rusty, he loves you. Can you imagine that? Judy, he loves you. From top to bottom. He chose us out of the mess, lifted us out and said, you're mine. He says, here, I want you to, I'm going to bring you into my family. I want you as part of my family. Courageous faith is trusting the one to call, ask us to jump. And he says, if it's not of faith, it's of works. Careful. If we're not doing what we do out of faith, it will be self-effort. It is impossible to please God without one thing. What is it? Faith. Trust Him. Trust Him how? He says, take your money and let me have it. We've taught, just give Him ten. That's not true. He says, give me all of it. Take your money and let it be His money. Take your cars and let it be His cars. Take your clothes and let it be His clothes. Take your children and let them be His children. Take anything and everything you think you have and get it to Him. He's God. He's smart. He knows how to manage that. We're to give Him all. And the good news about it is when your car starts wearing out and you say, God, your car's wearing out. You think I'm kidding. It's true. I've lived that. Vicki and I have lived that for 40, 50 years. If it gets about worn out and we say, God, your car's about done. What are you going to do? I'm telling you, He provides. He has never left us walking. Got your suits. You can take your suits, Lord, and say, Lord, your suit's kind of thin. What do you want to do? We said, well, you got that money here, use it. Or somebody else provides in some way. We raised five children on people giving us stuff, giving Bo Beckemeyer's mom and daddy gave us clothes and all of our kids wore nice clothes from families donating to us as they're growing up. They didn't even know they were getting hand-me-downs. They thought they were cool. And they were. Courageous faith comes from trusting the God to catch us. And what does it take for us to have uncontainable love? There's a verse that says, whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Be careful here, church people. Be careful here. That we get to thinking that we're pretty good and we've forgotten where we came from. And if we stop thinking that we were forgiven much, we may start loving less. Start remembering from where you came and what God has done so that you can have a love that flows out of you to other people that walk into your life that are broken, messed up. We might say, well, glad I'm not them. Well, you've just been forgiven a little. Because if you know what level have you been forgiven, what you've been saved from, you would be able to have a love for those people that come in here. You mean, you mean those who live a lifestyle different than what we agree to? Can we? What would we do if that came on? 
Would we raise our nose? Walk away? Have them sit somewhere different? If we've been forgiven little, we love little. But if we've been forgiven much, we love unconditional. See, that's the difference between the, the covenants here a bit. Under grace, it is a gift given through faith. It's a grace gift through faith. How does that affect us? Well, I hope that it comes out that our, that our heartfelt worship begins to grow and grow and grow. I pray that our courageous faith happens because of the, we trust the Father to catch us. And that our love is strong. Vicki, would you come? I'm going to ask you to bow your head. I'm going to ask you to picture a meter on your chest. The meter on your chest is zero to ten. Zero is weak. Ten is strong. And you, 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 you evaluate where your meter reads on two or three of these things. Have you asked Jesus to forgive you? See, that's where it starts. Have you asked Him to take the brokenness and the mess of your life? And it may be a religious mess, but it's still a mess. If you haven't, your freedom meter is very low. It's at zero, actually. Second one, have you forgiven yourself once you've asked God to forgive you? Have you forgiven yourself? Because that's the second thing that stops, that keeps our meter low without freedom. Because you, we don't, we're not unable to say, you know, God has forgiven me and I'm no longer that. I've been set free. Some of us live under guilt and shame and condemnation and you don't have to. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. What's the meter of worship on your heart today? How high is it? How low is it? If your worship is passionate and high, your meter is probably pretty high. What is the meter about your level of faith, your courageous faith? You trust God at a deep level. Step out by faith and trust Him. Follow Him. Do what He calls us to do. Is your faith courageous? Well, if it isn't, your meter's low and your trust for God may be low. How bad is your, how strong is your uncontainable love? Could be that if we've been forgiven little, we may love little. But if we've been forgiven much, our love will be great for others. God, would you please take this word and speak it right now to each heart? And I pray that you would just speak, tell us what you want us to do. Give us ears to hear and let us be quick to respond to the leadership of your spirit. Lord, if there are flesh things that we are fighting or establishing, let us come and lay those down today. Lord, if we are without you, let us come and receive you to get started, to find freedom in you. If you're under law and you're under religion and you're miserable in your, in your walk trying to find God, come and lay that down and just receive a gift of grace through Jesus. 
It's all been paid for. And he wants you to be free. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let's stand. Altars are open. Prayer partners will be here to receive you if you come.